the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, The Four Horsemen. Welcome to another podcast of The Four Horsemen. You are here today for one of the most significant topics that could ever be discussed, and that is the worship of God. We have been created by God for that purpose, to give Him glory and to enjoy Him. So when I think about uh, worship, glad to have some esteemed colleagues with me to have this discussion. Benjamin Kerfman, who is over here twisting the knobs and sliding the slides. DJ. And, Wearing uh, headphones and all that sort of thing, who's helping us sound well. So if the podcast does not come through in a great technical quality, address your uh, responses to Benjamin Kerfman. That's true. But thank you for being here. And also Adam Black and Derek McCarson, two fine young men that grew up in Pole Creek and despite me, turned out very well. And so we thank the Lord for them and their ministries at Westwood and Liberty, respectively. I'm Dennis Thurman, your host for this evening, as we talk about worship. Let me begin uh, here in the Word of God as there is a Samaritan woman who is engaged in a discussion with Jesus by a well. And as he really moves toward a, a convicting confrontation about her sinfulness, her immoral lifestyle, her failed marriages, and the fact she's shacking up with an old boy even as they speak. She gets very uncomfortable, wants to change the subject. So what does she want to talk? She wants to talk religion. She wants to discuss the difference between the way Samaritans, of which she was a part, worshipped God, and how the Jews, of which Jesus was a part, worshipped God. And Jesus just cuts right through all of that. John chapter 4 he says this, an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That is a very familiar passage, which I'm sure all of you fellows have taught or preached uh, from. So uh, worship is something Jesus talked about. What was he talking about? Uh, define worship for me. Who wants to tackle that first? Derek, how about tackling that? Well, thank you, Brother Dennis. I brought with me tonight a definition of worship that is not my own, but it's uh, from a guy named William Temple. And I've always thought that this definition of worship is uh, spot on. But he says this, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of His mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. And so uh, I always thought that that's a great definition of worship because um, it incorporates uh, the physical and the spiritual. Of course, uh, I think worship is something that 
everybody does, whether you are a Christian or not. The question is not whether you worship, but who or what are you worshiping? And so uh, you can look out on our culture and see all different kinds of gods that people are worshiping. The god of sports, the god of money, the god of sex, the god of power. All these are different forms of, of worship that are ultimately false gods. Uh, but ultimately, what we choose to worship is what we end up looking like as well. So uh, you see that worship has a transformational effect on those worshipers. You become like the idol that you devote yourself to or the God that you devote yourself to. Well, the you know Scripture, Derek, teaches that in, in the Psalms where there's a litany of you worship uh, these Gods who don't see, they can't hear, they have no heart, they have no capacity for doing anything. And it says those that worship them become like them. And so there's that spiritual blindness and deafness and uh, that uh, incapacity to get to the true God bowed to a, a false God. Derek uh, has on a Atlanta Braves shirt, by the way. And perhaps the Lord will forgive Go him Braves. For that. Hey, they just won the division. That's all, that's all right. My Dodgers will take care of them. <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, but moving on, when we talk about the uh, components of worship, I think that's a good definition, but you, you didn't mention music. You didn't discuss about should we have contemporary music or classical music or country music, and surely somewhere in that spectrum is the is the godly uh, part of what worship in spirit and truth is. I mean, it's all about music. Don't you think it's about music, Adam? Amen. It is all about the music. We look for worship pastors and worship leaders and worship so forth and so on. But um, it's just the preaching of the word is worship. The, the breaking of the bread is worship. The the praying is worship. And um, so all of that is um, worship in itself. Potlucks. Potlucks. Potlucks are worship. Bass fishing. Could be. Uh, the scripture speaks of those whose God is their belly. The son of man came eating and drinking. Amen. Well, there you go. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but it is easy for people to get so wrapped up in musical preferences that, to me, they get sidetracked from what worship is all about. And and so follow up a little bit on what Derek was saying about really the expression of our entire being. And maybe Romans twelve one and two, Paul says, "I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, mm-hmm. wholly acceptable unto God, which is your." In many translations, render spiritual, spiritual act of worship. worship. Yeah. So, how about following up on that a little? Ben and I actually was having this discussion today that worship, you will worship what is the Lord of your life. And the Lord of your life could be, as Derek mentioned, several idols, because we, I think you mentioned it as well, that, that we are created to worship. We, we are worshipful beings. And, but if we are, we're not worshiping the true God, uh, we're worshiping something else. But as far as the living sacrifice, you know, as as a Christian, we are to die to self daily. We It's a positional thing. He is God. I am not. And that in itself is an act of worship. Humbling ourselves before the Lord is an act of worship. So we are 
a living sacrifice. We are constantly under the Lordship of Christ in every aspect of our lives, not just on Sunday mornings. You know, you talk about music. I think that's the reason why we correlate worship and music is because we, 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 when music, it stirs our emotions, it stirs our heart. So therefore, that's why I think that um, worship um, is connected so much with music. But God is God regardless if the music is good. So yeah, our, our daily lives as Christians with him being the Lord of our, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, that's a declaration of submission. And that in itself, I think, is a definition of worship. So God's not after a dead sacrifice. He doesn't want us to come in and wring a, a pigeon's neck and sprinkle its blood upon the church carpet. The, you know, the custodians just go nuts. We've unhitched from Yeah, that. yeah. But it is a living sacrifice. It's a presenting of ourselves and all that we are. And, and when I think about our personality, what's encased in this body that I give myself to. And I think, again, it was in that uh, definition, you know, the mind, what we think about, what we think concerning God, engaging in that, that truth component, but indeed the emotions. And we look at the Psalms, and it's certainly filled with that, and, and in, indeed all of Scripture. And, I mean, just look at Revelation and the noise and the shouting and the hallelujahs that resound throughout uh, eternity. So so that is certainly a, a joy and expression uh, to God in worship. On the opposite side, lamentation in the Psalms, the mm-hmm. the prayers of heartache and sorrow and God, where are you? And in every range of emotion in between. But but then also the will of coming to submission that my whole life belongs to him. And Jesus kind of summed it up, I think God wants people that worship Him in spirit and truth. So if you were to explain that, Ben, what does that mean to worship God in spirit and truth? A definition I like is here in the Second London Baptist Confession, chapter 22, paragraph 1. Not the first London uh, Baptist well, no, not the first the London. So J. this Alan is Murray. the revised, more contemporary. J. Allen Murray is okay. the only person that likes the first London Baptist Confession. Okay. Shout out <laughs> to you. Congrats on your new church. <laughs> yes. Paragraph one here says, this is also the modern translation of the 1689 for Sarah. So don't get Just triggered. read the thing. Come on. <laughs> the light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. He is just, good, and does good to all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. So, worship in spirit and truth, in that truth, you look at the difference between the first two commandments in the Decalogue, uh, the first one having to do with you're only to worship the Lord your God. The second, not to make any graven image. And some people want to jam those together. That's really the same thing. They're not. The first deals with who you worship. Make sure you're worshiping the true God. The second, though, which is also important, is the way you worship, that you can't worship even the true God in a false way. When you see the Israelites 
Well, Moses is up there in the mountain, and they've made a golden calf, and they're worshiping. Were they really worshiping that golden calf, or did they have the, the visualization, this invisible God that's delivered us is sitting right there on that on that calf? Well, so maybe they were worshiping the true God, but in the wrong way. They, they named the calf Yahweh. They did. So, I mean, te- technically, you know, God didn't say that they couldn't have a calf named Yahweh. <laughs> Even though it's a graven image, but they hadn't got that rule yet. So technically, maybe that counts, right, Dennis? I think in their hearts, they probably knew their conscience-bearing witness that they were sinning. So the idea that not only should we be worshiping God for who he is, but also we should be worshiping in the way that he wants to be worshipped is also known as the regulative principle of worship. And, of course, Roman Catholicism, in their understanding of the Ten Commandments, is not divided up like we do as Protestants. They they jam those first two together for obvious reasons. They've got churches filled with idols, you know, <laughs> that they bow to and, right. and worship, even though they claim to worship the same God, the true God. So we have to worship in in truth. But what about that spirit part of it, which is also important? What, what's that all about, Derek? Spirit. Well, of course, we worship God through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that is sure. in us. I think when Jesus is giving that definition, he's giving the two correct parameters or fence posts by which you can measure worship. You want to measure, you want to worship in truth. Uh, you want to worship him the right way, the way that he has prescribed in his word. And then you also want to worship him in, in your, in your spirit, meaning devotion, uh, giving yourself to God and, um, your, your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. Uh, pouring all that into who God is, giving adoration to Him. So really, if if you talked about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit only indwells believers. So right. Unless you're regenerate, you don't have the capacity That's true. to worship the true God. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to worship something, like you said, but it's going to be a false a false God. So so how does that square with the idea of uh, let's let's gear our worship service and have all these things so we can reap this great harvest of, of lost people. Uh, how do you reconcile the two? Adam, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Well, we are a church that has a mission, which is the Great Commission. And so, therefore, we don't separate, I don't believe, we don't separate days of the week, hours, minutes, buildings. We don't separate any of that uh, from our mission. And so, I believe that when we are worshiping God, we preach the gospel that people will come to know Christ. That's how we all came to know Christ. So I think that you can leverage everything you do for the gospel. And because the gospel is what saves, if you preach the gospel, lost people will come to know Christ. I think that the whole idea, I know some people will talk about, we've talked about the attractional model before, that the goal is ultimately to worship God. The goal is to preach his gospel to preach his word by doing that people will come to know christ and so well and and i think you know john piper you know i may not get this exactly but but he pretty much talks about the reason for doing missions is that there are people in places that do not worship god and glorify he's worthy worthy of worship, and that's right he's worthy of worship so it's not just about the lost person that we're trying to reach although that's vital to love them but it's about a love for God and bringing others into that love. Right. So, so I would, I would agree with you. I, I just think sometimes 
you know, there's there's a, a difficulty that we face, and maybe a false dichotomy as well, in that uh, it, it's we make it an either or uh, yeah, kind of it, kind of proposition. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I I, I, I don't think it is. I, I think that when people will say, well, that church is, and we've talked about this before, the whole tra- attractional model. If you were to sit down with them. Their whole identity, which should be, and I would believe, uh, is to worship God by reaching people in, in that method. So I don't think anybody would say that what we're doing is not worshiping God. I don't. I don't think that would uh, occur. To follow up on that, Ben, because I know you'd probably come at it a, a little bit differently, and, and not to get us off the rails, but I thought we were supposed to fight on this podcast. <laughs> we, no, listen, I'm not against fighting. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not against rehashing. I'm just surprised fight. you're more on my side on this one. I figured you'd be more on Adam's no, side. No, I'm not. I'm on the Lord's side. So, <laughs> so, so, so I, I, th- I think there are, there are nuances of difference, but, it, you know, we, we probably come at uh, an understanding that it's fine for lost people to be there. Right. Yeah. And through the preaching of the gospel, they get, they get saved. So let me t- let me ask then, then, as you're designing a service, what would be the components of a worship experience that happens on the Lord's Day in what we call the Lord's House? What what would go into that? Well, so I think to tie it in with what I read earlier, I would not want to be in a position where a church member could accuse me of leading something in worship that Scripture does not tell us to do. I don't want to be accused of. Uh, inventing something or creating something as an element of worship that is not prescribed in Scripture. Because I think that God has always laid out some things that He wants His people to do in worship. And I think that just because, and this ties in again with what we've talked about with covenant theology, because we're in the New Covenant doesn't mean that everything that God did in the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. And so I think just as God was very very uh, serious about the way that he was worshipped in the Old Testament, I think that he's also very serious about it in the New Testament church. So elements that I can readily include in a worship service that I have no problem proving from Scripture are singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, like Ephesians tells us to do, praying for one another, confessing sin, teaching the Word of God, giving, and fellowship. I think all those things are clear commands in Scripture. Now, of course, the way that churches organize those or the specific elements they select there's some freedom there we've also talked about christian liberty the ordinances yeah uh, yeah right baptism in the word supper yeah and so uh, those things would be part of the service and i would also consider all of those ordinary means of grace in the sense that those are things that scripture teaches that if we do them when we come together that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to work through all of those different elements to increase the grace of God in our lives. Not saving grace, but just the power of the Holy Spirit growing in sanctification that there's no church that gets together and fellowships or gives or prays or preaches the word or sings that is not being more sanctified and it is being drawn closer to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you start adding other elements or when you start taking those elements and manipulating them in a way that detracts from their purpose, then you're getting inventive and creative with something that I don't think the scripture gives us permission to do. Give an example of something like that. 
I'm curious. I was just thinking about that. Okay, so for instance, that like so, the scripture says that we're supposed to sing uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, so psalms, obviously, we understand psalms in the Old Testament. There's churches that sing those. That's great, pretty self-explanatory. Hymns are specifically songs of praise, so songs that are praising the Lord. And then spiritual songs would be songs that could be songs of lament. It could be songs of confession, something that has to do with the spiritual life of the congregation. So that, you can speak to one another with those. So, so, right. so the spiritual songs are a testimony to right. other people, to other believers. So we're, so we're preaching through Ephesians right now in church, and we just dealt with this text last week. And what we were explaining to the congregation is, is the singing is for God, but it also benefits the body. It should be an encouragement to one another. So that, that's one of the reasons why we emphasize congregational singing in our church, as opposed to having more of a performance. And I, and I know some churches wouldn't define that as a performance, but what I'm saying is, is I hear people around me. I can hear them over the instruments. And when I hear people that I know are struggling singing praises to the Lord, it edifies me and builds me up and encourages me, which I think is part of the purpose of why God commands that. Now, the worship isn't for me. It's for the Lord, but it, it does strengthen me, and it makes me want to worship more. So, back, I mean, that's what I'm saying. What what would be the manipulation? Right. So, manipulation would be, for instance... Smoke machines and laser lights. Well, you know, I mean, I think some of that's up to interpretation. You know, like, I, we're not going to do that in my church. I'm not going to find I, that in Scripture. If you do that in your church, I don't think that means that you're sinful and you're not whatever. So, to clarify, some people think the regulative principle means that God has this black and white... 10 point instruction guide of the only thing you can do in your church and it's not that way there's a lot of churches that practice the regulative principle but they interpret it differently but the point is is that there's these general categories in which god wants to be worshiped and so for instance we're supposed to sing songs i think if you're gathering together for worship and nobody's singing I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know that you're really fulfilling what scripture is commanding us to do. If you're gathering together and you're just singing and there's no preaching, I don't think that that's really corporate worship. Now, the tricky part for me is, is if you gather together and you don't have the Lord's Supper, is it really corporate worship? That can be, that can be a tricky thing. My leaning and my preference is actually to have it every week for that, for that same reason, because you don't say, well, we're not going to sing this week or we're not going to baptize somebody that wants to be baptized this week. But we'll say all the time we're not going to have the word supper, but that's a whole different. But unfortunately, you don't baptize every week. No, unfortunately not. But you know, so, so the manipulation would because in my mind, and this is this is another topic, but the music part of it, I, I would say that a manipulation, in my personal opinion, and I wouldn't do it. Surprisingly, some people may be shocked by this. Is is to play like a secular song as like a warm up. Right. Now, I've I've heard of people playing secular songs as like a um, prime example. Perry Noble played Highway to Hell. Well, that was a setup for that was an illustration because he used the lyrics of the song mm. with scripture. And anyway, I wouldn't do that personally, but I think that's that would be one area where I think people can manipulate it because oh they they don't like our music. We'll play something they might like. Um, but the only the only other thing that I can think of manipulation is an invitation. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of that you I wouldn't say manipulation well, in the sense of I, I wouldn't wrong cut. worship, but. I wouldn't do that because, again, I think that part part of preaching, part of worship is that we are responding to the Word of God. And so churches are going to interpret that differently. Some churches may do that in the form of an altar call. Some churches may do that in form of, of a prayer or a song of response um, or something like that. And so, again, I think the way that that is practiced is maybe up to interpretation depending on the church. But I don't see anything unscriptural about 
calling people to respond to what they've heard and to respond to the truth of God's word. And I agree with that. I'm yeah. not saying it, but that, that's so, the only So thing in I, my mind, a manipulation would be like a good standard for, for music. Uh, one of my former pastors shared this that I really liked. He said, if the only theology that the people in your church knew was from the songs that you sang, would it be enough to save them? That's a pretty good standard because you can sing a lot of songs and not get a lot of theology. Now, at the same or time, get wrong theology, right? And right. at the same time, I'm not saying that every one of your songs has you to be are like the air I breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like what? <laughs> it's like that's what? That's what pantheism. The way he holds me up. It's like that's pantheism. That's not even Christianity. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, so I, so I do think that, that there's a stretch. Now, can I give you like okay? Here's a hundred songs that you're allowed to sing in your church. Right. No, I don't. I don't. I don't want to be legalistic about it. But I do think there needs to be questions like that when the pastor is planning the service of does it worship God. Right. Am I going to walk away from this having my eyes more fixed on Christ and my affections more drawn to him at the end of this service or not? And, and not just a little bit, but is every element of this service is like like one of the biggest times that churches miss it is the offering. That's a routine thing. Pastors don't want to talk about it. They're scared. It's Listen, this is an act of worship. This is just as much worship as singing a song is and hearing the word of God is. And God is offering a blessing to you. And grace to you and, and power in the Holy Spirit when you give to him. And so it's like we shouldn't have to be ashamed of doing that time and like let's silently pass the plate and try not to make anybody uncomfortable. It's like, listen, we're worshiping here. Like, I don't care what you put in there. It's none of my business. That's between you and the Lord. But God's said that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so now so it's now your heart? man up. Yeah. You know, like. Or woman. Well, and, or, and, or woman and, up. and worship yeah. is from the old English worth ship. And so it is about what God is worth. How do you view him? And so there is a, a, a definite connection with our, our giving, a presenting of ourselves, uh, as you, as you said. Now, the manipulation in music, I think, can happen when, and this is nothing against contemporary music. I'm, I'm fine with it, providing it's, it's scriptural, but where you sing it so repetitively, just over and over again, and, and one song after another, the band getting louder, faster. It's almost an emotional manipulation. So that more to, but I, I think even that can be a fine line because people, like, like for example, somebody, I've heard people say, well, we don't want performance-based worship. Right. right. But then, you know, we're against having a band. Right. We don't want a band. We don't want a worship team. We want a choir up there. Right. But on like Sunday that, night, like the Southern be. Gospel Group's going to be here. And I mean, it's like, what? Wait a minute. Hold well, on. Or and, Aunt and so, Gertrude's going to sing a special. Like, what? So what that brings doing? up a point that it's not about the style. Right. It's about the function. So, for instance, okay, there's several people in my church right now that are really into Timothy Brindle. If you don't know who Timothy Brindle is, he's a rapper. And he just came out with an album called The Unfolding. I sent you guys a song from it the yes. other day, which is basically an, an entire education on. On the typology of Christ in the Old Testament in a rap album. He wrote an entire commentary book that goes with the CD. Okay. So, as far as theology goes, you're going to have to look pretty hard to find better theology than this rap album. Now, at the same time, we're not going to sing that on Sunday morning, not because I don't like rap music, because I, I listen to it all the time. For it. Go but for it. it's not congregational in nature. You sing it. And so that's not. part of the criteria is, is people can't join. That. I need the three year old and the 80 year old. 
to be able to worship God together right. because when the whole church is, you know, it's the same thing as communion. I'm not going to go and give one person communion over by themselves. Why? Because this God designed this for us to do together, gathering corporately on the Lord's day as the church and doing those things which he's prescribed. And so um, that's why there is music that exalts God. It's like people get bent out of shape about Hillsong and Bethel Church and all that. Like, listen, I don't like all their theology or whatever. Do I think every single one of their songs is heresy? No. But at the same time, I have to ask the question, when you get done singing that song, is it drawing your affections and your mind, your theology towards Christ? Is it increasing your understanding of God? And are you singing in your church in a way that is drawing the church together corporately? Do you feel closer to the people around you when you're singing on Sunday morning, or do you feel isolated? If you feel isolated then th- that's a worship problem. I-, I think everything that you're doing on Sunday morning, whether it's giving, singing, listening to preaching, there needs to be a feeling of, I am unified with the people in this room with me, and we are doing this together. What do you think, Derek? One of the things about worship that I always uh, go to is that uh, worship changes you, changes your uh, your mind, your will, your emotions, and a lot of times I've found that sometimes I go to church and I don't really feel like worshiping. I've had a tough week. The devil's been on my back. I've got all kinds of problems. That's what I'm focused on. And I know if I'm coming to church with all kinds of Your burdens, kids don't want to put their clothes on or... Yeah. yeah. Or, we or are not or the, ter- keep the perfect on. church family. I mean, yes, we've had the fight in the parking lot. And then when we get to the front door, ding, you know, smiles. <laughs> and God bless America. Spiritual. <laughs> and, and you find, though, that what worship can do is it's like a magnifying glass or a telescope. It brings God into focus. It magnifies him. It makes him bigger in your life. So no matter what you're facing or no matter what you're struggling with or no matter what burdens you carry, worship is a breath of fresh air. And when you feel like you don't want to worship or can't worship, that's the very time you need to worship. And in doing that, it, lifts your spirit up. It turns your eyes to Christ. It gets your your vision off of the world and on what is truly important and what is eternal and what has lasting value. One thing that I did want to talk about is the practical side of worship. Amen. Uh, and, and that is a lot of times I notice in worship service, people have come in and they haven't prepared their heart. They're not ready to worship. They're coming in completely cold. They're ice cold. They have not really read their Bible much that week. There's been limited prayer. They're distracted. And worship is one of those things that I I think definitely you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And if you haven't put anything into it during the week, you're, it's, it's, it's going to be tough on Sunday for you to connect. And so for me, I feel like really a corporate worship, uh, you get ready for that on the day before, the evening before. You get your mind in the right place. You remove any kind of distractions, you read scripture, you pray, you put on some songs that are going to guide your your mind in that direction. And I think that that is another thing that's really important is preparing yourself before you meet uh, with the rest of the body of Christ so that you have something to contribute. So you're saying that you think that people should be meeting together on Sunday and not just whenever? (laughs) (laughs) I know that was coming, but here's my point. If you're only gearing up to worship God one day a week, one hour a week, you're going to you're going to be like you said, you know, are you daily building your relationship with God? Are you daily 
working on worshiping God and all that you do. And, mm-hmm. and I think that when you're doing that, you know, yes, the Sunday mm-hmm. is what everybody builds towards, but that shouldn't be the only day that you worship God. And that hour well, is not the only day you should worship sure. God. Sure. In right. fact, that's what Jesus says Amen. here to the woman at the well. <laughs> He's saying it's not about a certain place. It's not here on this mountain or on uh, Mount Zion. Uh, it is about who you are. Now, the corporate gathering of believers is commanded and vital, but that should grow out of a group of people who personally are engaging in worshiping with God. And it's like Derek was saying, you can't just suddenly turn that switch on. It's mm-hmm. not likely to happen if you've not given God a thought all week long uh, and, and your mind is absolutely consumed with the things of the world. You're not just going to be able to walk in all of a sudden, flip the switch and begin to think about God. Challenge we have as, as preachers is we're trying to build a fire and the woods wet, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's been doused with the carnality of an unconcern that people have. And, and that's a great challenge. Of course, God can send the fire down. But, yeah. Uh, one verse, challenge. one verse that I always go back to is what David says in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And what that tells me is that if I'm going to ascend to where God is, if I'm going to approach him in worship, I need to do a spiritual inventory in my life. One of the greatest barriers to uh, worship is unconfessed sin in your life. And we pastors are just as susceptible to that. I find that the better worship experiences that I have are when I take time before that and pray, say, God, search me. Is there anything in my heart that is uh, preventing me from devoting myself to you? Remove any impurity, any uncleanness. Lord, I confess any sin. Lord, if there's something in my life that's not right, shine your your light on it right now so that I can confess it to you because we've got to get that out in the in in the light and confess that before we can move on and then have intimacy with God in a worship environment. So we actually added that into our order, order of worship. Yeah, so our, we do, our, we our do first too. prayer in the service is a prayer of confession. So we sing a, a song, a call to worship song, and you do our announcements and all that jazz. And then uh, usually I'm the one that does the prayer of confession. And part of that, part of that is personal for me of trying to get my heart right. Cause I, I feel you. I mean, I have some of those Sundays I'm just running my tail off and I'm just trying to even make it into the sanctuary by the time service starts with everything mm-hmm. going on. But part of it is that that cor- that corporate confession of like, Lord, bef- before we do anything else, before we sing a song or do anything else, we're just all going to acknowledge together that that we failed this week, and that we're here because we need grace, and because we're sinners, and because uh, the only reason we can come and even do anything worthy, sing a song worthy, give a gift worthy, do anything is only through the power of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God. Well, and isn't that when Jesus talks about spirit and truth, certainly the, the truth part, we understand the the truth being communicated through scripture and through song, but also is being the, the being truthful with ourselves. Uh, you know, God doesn't need to be informed of our sin. He's well acquainted with all of our ways, but we need to embrace it. We need to acknowledge it. We need to be realistic. And preachers, as you say, can be the worst because we want to convey this image to the congregation that we've got it all together. We Mm -hmm. just want to tell our success stories and leave out the failures. Uh, Sometimes we make people feel worse by what we say because we're not just honest. We're not open. We're not truthful. We don't tell them, hey, before I come, sometimes the kids act like, uh, you know, 
chimpanzees and and my wife bless her heart you know <laughs> that might not be the best one to <laughs> listen i'm being truthful that be would truthful. make some people worse but it'd be you yeah but well but, but you got to give her a chance to stand up and well exactly she's got exactly. a testimony exactly. after that you're supposed to confess your own sin not somebody else but but again it it is that uh, to me refreshing to let people know that we don't have our act together mm-hmm. all the time and and to get that cleared out so we may be the biggest hindrance from god doing a work there so to me the spirit and truth is the subjective and objective dimension of of worship in spirits the subjective how how we engage our emotions how we feel how we connect on on that level the objective truth how we engage our mind with the with the with the concepts the head and the heart coming together so that then the outcome is that when I leave there, that that my life has been changed through meeting that God, the eternal one, where I can't be the same. But let me throw out this, this last little thing. Do you think that it's also possible that many people that gather, the reason they don't worship or have a great passion for worship is, is that they're not regenerate. They don't know Jesus. The spiritual evaluation would take place would make them extremely uncomfortable because there's there's nothing there when they examine themselves that they're not in the faith. Uh, is that is that an issue that you see? Absolutely. I think it was uh, good old Johnny Tiller who used to say the greatest mission field in the world sits on the Baptist pews mm. every Sunday. As a pastor, when I look out and I see people with their eyes wandering, not singing, not giving. And having no response to the preached word of God, I don't know their heart, but I can see the fruit or the lack thereof, and it does make you wonder. That's so judgmental. (laughs) (laughs) Even though the Bible says you'll know them by your fruit. Right. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I think one thing that goes back to what we said in the beginning is, I've said it before, you know, being by vocational working 45 hours a week. And I'm wore out. <laughs> I'm tired, you know, and, and so, and I know people in our congregation are, are just wore out. And so one of the first, I like what you said about the, the opening prayer and I kind of do that, but I want to kind of do what you were talking about from on. But one of the prayers at the very beginning of the service is Lord, clear my mind of all the distractions of this past week. Mm-hmm. I say that almost every week mm-hmm. because man, my mind is just, and so, but I think, the key is 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 God being the Lord of my life every single day of the week, no matter what. Like even even those who are listening who aren't pastors who work, you know, finding time to to build your relationship with Christ and have time to pray and and build on that and and continue to pursue Christ and in, in His Lordship in your life, as opposed to waiting till Sunday to try to get some kind of spark. Um, it, because it's hard. I mean, it, it is absolutely hard. So, but yeah, I do agree that there's a lot of people out there that are, are but I think that we wear ourselves down so much that it's almost difficult. And so that, that can be an idol in our lives, you know, well, uh, work and busyness, um, and that type of thing. So it's a matter you know. to repent of. Absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's concerning to me as, as we think about this. I'm not going to sit here and come across so spiritual that every Sunday morning I'm just ready to get up and charge hell with a water pistol. There's a few times I'd like to roll back over and and go back to sleep, but they are a few times. 
I have those moments. I have those struggles just like anybody else. But, but I can see such a difference from the attitude I had BC before Christ in that I, I just did not want to be there. I'd rather be watching a football game. I'd rather be any place else but there. I got nothing out of it, it, you know, except if I was sitting with a pretty girl, you know, something like that. That's, that's about it. But when I came to know Jesus, it was amazing. Nobody had to teach me. Suddenly there was a longing to study the word. There was a, I didn't really know how to pray, but I knew I, I should pray and wanted to pray. I wanted to share my faith. I, I never debated about should I give. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I want to do that. And, and so to me, that worship in spirit and truth has to do with the regenerating experience. Are you going to have valleys emotionally? Sure. Are you going to have sometimes times of backsliding? We, we all can. Uh, physically, can that affect us? I have no question about that. But in the midst when we sort all that away, you know, I think in your heart, do you want to seek the Lord? Mm-hmm. If there's not that want to, you need to really ask why. What's, what's the big issue? Because to me, worship is the order of eternity. It's why we're here it's what we're going to do in heaven, you know, and if we're not embracing that, then, then why would we want to go to a place where that's that's what they do all, mm-hmm. all the time? Just to echo what you said, Derek, we do have to prepare our hearts for worship. And I mean, again, you see that in the Old Testament. They were extreme about setting aside time and energy and everything. You know, you're not cooking on the Sabbath. You're not traveling on the Sabbath. You're not doing anything. Why? Because you're, you got to eliminate those distractions. Like you said, Adam, you got to put everything out of your mind. And it's like, listen, uh, this day is set aside for the Lord. And at the same time, we also have to remember that the Holy Spirit will help us. And, and there are those times where we are dried up and we are exhausted and our hearts aren't right. And there are still times where he meets us in those moments. And Amen. I can testify to that. Cause I mean, this last Sunday, I just, it was one of those days. I could have just as soon stayed in bed. I got up early. I was running my butt off all day and was just exhausted. You know, I thought, you know, I was kind of like where, what you said, Adam, it's like, I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about stuff at home. I'm having car problems. It's, I mean, there's a million things I can think about besides God. And then I'm like, well, I need to think about it because I need to be spiritual because I'm a pastor. Come on. So, so, it, needs, so, so it needs to be my job Suck to figure it, up, it out. But at the Quit same time, me. at the same time, and, th- and this is why I think that the way that we worship does matter, because if you worship God in the right way with the wrong heart, the Holy Spirit won't bless it. And if you worship him in the wrong way with the right heart, he won't bless it either, I think. And so spirit and truth. The thing is, if you get it right, he'll meet you there. And and I think sometimes we underestimate. We, we think that the power is in the, the presentation or the power is in the planning. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But I think there's something about just doing it simply the way that God wants you to do it and trusting him to to supply the power and the transformation that's needed because Sunday morning as exhausted as I was, we were in the middle of singing a song and I just had an experience. You know, I started hearing people singing around me and that, that edification, that koinonia, all those things that the scripture talks about, it just started, it started feeding my soul in the middle of the song, you know, and it was like all of a sudden, no matter how exhausted I was, no matter how depressed I was, in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit is like something just welled up inside of me and just reinvigorated me and, and transformed my heart again. 
to where when the word was preached, I was ready to hear it. And you know what? I hadn't done all the preparation and my mind wasn't right and my heart wasn't right. But there was something about being there worshiping with the church that the spirit met me there and he carried me along to be able to get something out of it. And so that's why I think worship is is it's an important subject and it's something that we sometimes I think uh, don't take as seriously as we should. Not so much some people don't take it serious on the preparation end as far as planning the service, but other people don't take it serious on the preparation as far as the spirit. And I think you make a good point, Dennis. You, you got to have both. Well, and it's the genius of corporate worship. So in kind of winding this up, let me just say to those out there listening to us now, that if you're not really connected to that corporate worship, you need to be. Because when the scripture tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, it goes on to speak about how we exhort one another so much the more as, as we see the day approaching. And being what you're talking about is precisely that. Here you come in and you weren't really top of your game. You weren't wired in, but other people were. And there were probably a few more like you as well there. But, but being in that environment, you know, that's what gets you, gets you moving uh, your heart inclined toward god your mind engaged with him and we and we all need that i i need it i miss it and if i'm not there with the people of god now i i try to worship god each and every day and throughout the day but but i need to be with the people of god mm-hmm. and so i just want to encourage you to set as your goal to worship god in spirit and in truth regardless of the style of music uh you know uh whatever as long as it's speaking to you biblically don't get sidetracked don't let your church get in a fight over worship i mean that's just so uh, contradictory and and do be alert to those in your midst that may not be believers make sure that you define terms and use language that will speak to them uh, let them know why worship is important while you're there, and God can use that to, to bring salvation through the power of, of the gospel. But uh, uh, again, if you if you want to go to heaven, and if you're going to enjoy heaven, uh, worship will be the order of eternity, worshiping Him in spirit and truth. So we're going to sign off. Thank you for listening. Appreciate Benjamin and Adam and Derek being with us. God bless. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.